Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May, I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone, and I've been using it just kind of scout some things out, get, get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, though, all you got to do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. Welcome to episode 335 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and today we've got a guest episode. I'm joined by my buddy, Doug Thorburn of Baseball Prospectus, Rotowire, and of course, the SP Guide. He's done the mechanics over there uh, now for, what, I think three years. I think this was his third year doing that. And so uh, we wanted to sit down and chat a little bit, talk some pitching, as we usually do. For those of you that are, are old school, you may remember that we had a podcast of our own called Tin Stap which stands for There's No Such Thing as a Pitching Prospect. And we did actually have the blessings of the creator of that acronym, Gary Huckabay, when we did it. And it was a really fun podcast. We would do three, four-hour episodes talking about pitching. And then you know things kind of changed with, our, with both of our schedules time-wise. I mean, first off, he and his wife had a baby, which really you know makes something like that difficult to do, particularly on a weekly basis, let alone even on like an every-other-week situation. So... Um, my schedule ended up getting a little bit too busy for that as well. So we kind of just stopped doing it. And then he's got his podcast with, um, Sammy Reed called baseball hogs anonymous. And of course you guys know, I've got this podcast as well as, uh, doing work on the rotowire one. So, you know, it was not anything that, uh, was negative that we stopped it. You know, we didn't stop it because we hated each other. It just became a time thing. And so, so we weren't doing it anymore, but Doug's a great guy, knows pitching so well. The mechanics piece is his forte, and it's it's always fascinated me. I just love his insights and knowledge about pitching because I don't have the the wherewithal or, or the knowledge base really to see the game that way. So I'm always fascinated when he is talking mechanics and, and what he's looking for, and it's helped me kind of watch a little bit differently. I'm able to to somewhat look for those sorts of things. Uh, although I would still say that I, I kind of need to be prompted by him when something is amiss uh, before I'm necessarily going to recognize it. So, uh, but anyway, we, we talk about that. We kind of run the gamut on pitching early on. I ask him a few general questions about velocity and, you know, kind of how to look, uh, what to watch for when you're, when you're really watching games, especially early on. And then we dive into a lot of specific players. And, you know, uh, some on the high end of performance, some on the lower end. We recorded this a while ago. I'm trying to think of the exact date, maybe about a week ago. So, you know, probably every guy we've talked about has had at least one other start since then. So keep that in mind. But at the same time, we were talking, we were trying to talk generally anyway. So I don't think that anything's going to sound too ridiculous, but you know, if there's, uh, anybody that we talked about and things have greatly changed since then. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Spore. He's at Doug underscore Thorburn. That's T-H-O-R-B-U-R-N. Uh, that, that's where you can find both of us on Twitter. But without further ado, let's talk to Doug Thorburn. 
I'm joined now by Doug Thorburn, a good friend of mine who many of you will recognize from the Starting Pitcher Guide, but also Baseball Perspectives, Rotowire, and the Baseball Hawks Anonymous. When you're not listening to this podcast, you need to be listening to the Baseball Hawks Anonymous podcast. Doug, thanks for joining me. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for the kind words about Baseball Holics. Uh, it, we have too much fun with it. It's, I love it. it it's it, so much. So it's awesome. It's just really <laughs> enjoyable. The setup that you guys do with the four bases coming out, you know, uh, first base, just kind of maybe hitting some news and all that. Then you got your extract, which is probably my favorite. It's hard to decide between the extract and the game. You play a game every week, which is so fun. It's a great show. It really is. I do recommend it to everybody. Baseball Hulk's Anonymous. You and Sammy Reed crushing it every week. And again, you're doing your, your writing over at BP, Rotowire. Brought you on to talk about pitching. That shouldn't surprise anybody. I hope it doesn't. You and I used to do a podcast called Tin Step. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect where we would go on three, four hour benders just talking baseball. It was pre uh, your child. It was pre my last relationship, and we just had the time to be awesome. You know, most people would say be nerds. No, no, we were being awesome four yeah, hours the, at a time. The time was the key, and we would have four, four and a half hour podcasts. Uh, my favorite, I think, was the live podcast we did uh, for the the World Series. That it was, was so much fun. The playoffs. It was like so much fun. We had obviously we couldn't be showing the game, but we just had our commentary. We were talking back and forth. I thought that that was awesome. I loved it. And Doug, I'm not saying that we like started a trend, but did you notice the last two years? They then had games like that on the Fox broadcast where it's four guys sitting around talking about. I'm just saying. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. You know? I'm just saying we're innovators. That's all. Uh, that's, that's all <laughs> I'm trying to say is that Doug Thorburn and I are innovators. And you're a great pitching mind, and that's why I wanted to have you on. We're going to start easy for you. Uh, I just want to know some of the things that you're looking for in the early season. When you're, when you're going to sit down to watch a start, um, wh- what are a couple things that you're going to be eyeing uh, with a particular guy, and is, are there specifics tailored to each guy, or do you have general things that in April, in these first, second, third, fourth starts, that you're looking at? Well, there's definitely specifics for each individual guy, but there are things that I look for in general. Uh, the number one thing I look for is pitcher balance. You know, as you know, I'm a big mechanics guy, uh, and as long as the pitcher is keeping his head over the middle of his body, then it's all good. I don't like it when the head starts drifting, whether it's behind him, left, right, at release point, early, you name it. So I want to see how strong a guy's balance is. A lot of times it gives me an indicator of how well spring training worked. You know, you hear all the time about the guys who were in midseason form. Best and, shape of their lives. Yeah, best shape of their lives, all that kind of stuff. You know, reality is that these guys are in different spots. Not everyone starts the year ready to go. And so I always look for that balance. That's why I've always loved guys like Clayton Kershaw and Felix Hernandez, who when they first came up, I wasn't big on their deliveries, but over time they slowly but surely got better every single year, just a slightly better balance, a little bit more stability. It was really cool. And you saw the command follow. So that's the second thing I look for is command. And for me, it's kind of a process outcome thing where strong balance should lead to strong command, but it doesn't always. Sure. And, and so I, Look to, you know, I'm big on the catcher's glove. I'm big on watching the catcher's glove the entire time and seeing how much he has to move in order for the pitcher to hit his location. And it's funny, we're kind of in a day and age now where everyone's selling out for velocity, everyone's selling out for movement, and command is kind of going by the wayside. And it's it, it can be frustrating sometimes, especially because there's when, so much swing and miss. Yeah, that's all anyone cares about now is it's they think they can get swing and miss with just pure stuff and. Mm. They can for a short short bit. And what I mean by a short bit, I mean not only short spurts, but also career-wise. We're looking at guys who are at their peak for a year and a half, and they're done. Yep. They get figured you know, out. And it's, and it's really hard to see. It, 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 it's really an interesting game that we have right now coming out of the PED era, the juice ball era, whatever you want to call it, uh, with, this, with this very pitching-heavy era. I like those things that you're looking at. Obviously, you are the mechanics guru, so I know that that's what you're looking at. But catcher's glove is something that uh, Eno and I preach as well. If you just want a, a kind of a 101, something to look at to kind of get an idea of, of how things are going to go, the catcher's glove is a great place to start. Obviously, guys can can miss their spots and, and have success. But if you see the catcher kind of reaching all over the joint all night, it's likely going to be a tough night for that pitcher, right? Yeah, and you want to see how they're missing. So sometimes the catcher will just want the pitcher to bury a secondary pitch, bury a breaking ball or bury a changeup uh, or a splitter or something. And if the, as long as the pitcher's intending to bury it, 
then I don't care if it hits the dirt. I don't care if, as long as it's down. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he's missing everything up, that tells me that mechanically his arm is late. That's that's going to be a problem, and that's something that can be, that can perpetuate. Especially if we see it from the stretch with slide step guys. There are all sorts of things that can lead to a guy's arm being late. And to me, that's the biggest risk because that leads to home runs, extra base hits. You elevate, you're going to get punished. Yep, you leave stuff up, you're, you're, you're in big trouble. That's a great point. Another thing that everyone I know looks at right out of the gate, of course, is velocity, right? We, get, we start getting those readings in spring training, and then it just doesn't stop. We, we're always talking about them. However, when the season clicks over to the regular season, I notice a lot of comparing the, the April number to last season. And I obviously there's some use to that, particularly if they're up. But for me, I would like to see more of an April to April comparison. Do you think that would be more effective? Because uh, what you've taught me in the past is that guys build velocity as the season goes on. And I believe you've said that August is the peak. So if that's the case, why wouldn't we give them a little bit more of a fair shake and compare April to April? Plus, I bet some guys ramp up differently than others. Do you think that's the case as well? Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I like to compare to both, really, uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned. I mean, as far as wind velocity peaks, it is a little bit individual player to player. But in general, I would say maybe July, okay, maybe early August. Uh, but again, that's that's just sort of kind of like a bell curve. Like a global uh, thing, yes. Most guys, they do ramp up during the year, and they don't start off at their elite velocity. Some guys do. Some guys, uh, Zach Grinke, for example, he's someone that, He's had the same velocity year to year for five years running. He, wow. he has it, the same velocity every start, every month. So when he's off a little bit, it's a problem. Now, he actually wasn't off. His velocity in his two starts that were really bad were the same thing they have been, 92.5 miles an hour. That's his average fastball. Uh, but his command was completely off. So when I'm looking at velocity, I'm, I like to compare it to what they did not only last season but over the last couple just to get an idea, kind of a bearing of where their average is, where they sit. Mm-hmm. But then, yes, I will look at them, their game logs on Brooks Baseball or on Fangraphs and take a look at what that velocity is like during the year. You've got guys like Bumgarner who does ramp it up during the season. And then you've got other guys who will start off right away with huge at velocity. At their peak, yeah. And then you've got guys like, and we're going to talk, you know, we and I discussed him a little bit before, and I think he's going to come up later, but Noah Syndergaard, where all of a sudden he starts off with a higher velocity than he had during the season last season. Yeah. That's amazing. But I think the April April is crucial because you have to know what, especially for a veteran, what is the type of uh, pattern this guy has displayed in the past. Yeah, are they going to have a trajectory, or is there maybe reason for concern? And I agree with you. The numbers should work. In tandem. I'm, I'm not saying only do April to April. I do like the the things that like Jeff Zimmerman does. He's very good about putting up these numbers with current April to to the last year total. But I like to take it that second level is basically what I'm talking about. You mentioned Noah Syndergaard. We're going to talk actually about a handful of guys. And I just want to get your thoughts on them. Uh, with, we'll have a jumping off point. But because of some of your past affinity for certain guys, uh, the, the first one right away uh, is a guy that both you, both you and I were huge on last year and we, and we missed. Um, let's just dive in. Let's, let's talk Andrew Kashner. Um, I've been calling him Andrew Trashner because it's been two bad starts, ERA-wise. But when, that's more for show because I really don't think he's been complete trash. I kind of step back breathe a little bit. I'm looking at the base skills. I'm like, actually, both are better. The walks are lower. The strikeouts are higher. Uh, Not appreciably necessarily, just a little bit. But the fact is, skills are still there, but 13 hits in nine innings. Is there any reason to worry after two starts? And I guess the the question should really be, is he going to be any damn better than last year for Andrew Kashner? You know, isn't it funny? He's he's done all the things that the sabermetric crowd wanted him to do. He he had the stuff to say to foretell a better strikeout rate, so he had the strikeouts. You know, he his walk rate at I believe his did his walk rate actually get better? Uh, not last year. Yeah, he not added walks year. with the strikeouts. But yeah, to your point, oh, they did? wanted okay. strikeouts. They said, you know, if you can keep that ground ball rate right, and I'm I, I'm I'm in this day. I'm like he keeps that ground ball rate, you know, in the upper 40s, low 50s, and adds some strikeouts. We're talking stud here, and it didn't happen that way because the walks weren't even really right, the yeah. problem. It was the homers. He almost doubled his home run rate. Cashner went from 0.51 per nine to 0.93, and that was a big deal. In fact, that was a big deal in that park last year for that team 
James Shields was allowing bombs left and right. Cashner, even Tyson Ross was allowing some bombs, given that he's a heavy ground uh, yeah, ball guy. Ian Kennedy gave a lot of bombs, too. What's that? Ian Kennedy, too. Ian Kennedy, of course, the bomb machine. And so it, it was kind of a weird thing. It almost made me think we started talking about how Petco is changing. I'm like, or maybe it was just four pitchers who were struggling. I, I couldn't figure that out. It was really a bomb fest there at San Diego last year, and now they are just a, a bomb of a team. They're what a total dud. But – I want to know if there's any hope left. He's 29 years old, Kashner is. We haven't really seen it for a full season because even that 2014 was 200, uh, excuse me, 123 innings. I'm, I'm, I'm losing a little bit of faith, but as people will learn, uh, probably before this episode comes out, so they'll have to go back and look at my portfolio that I posted on Rotographs, I still invested in Kashner a decent bit, so I'm actually probably just asking you to talk me off the ledge. <laughs> Well, what really worries me is just how fastball reliant he's become. And, you know, his fastball, his two seam, especially movement, is insane when it's on. Uh, and is what it made me so big on him last year was the combination of he had the velocity, he had the movement, and he had the command of that velocity of movement. You never see that, especially on a pitch that has that much arm side run. So it was really impressive to see. I didn't see that command last year. I didn't see that movement last year. I think the velocity was pretty damn close, if not pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. I worry about the fact that he is, I mean, we're, we're looking at what he's done this season. And his he's thrown something like 80% fastball. 80%. You nailed it. It's in, it's insane. That, I mean, he, his, it's all fastballs at this point, And his sinker basically has to be nutty. But, you know, basically, when did he become Joe Kelly? That's terrifying. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it really is. And this is a guy who I, I want to like a lot. I like him mechanically better than Joe Kelly, for those listening. But what the hell happened? All the things I was I was looking for, I didn't see last year. Yeah, the K-rate went up, and some people see that as a positive. And, mm. I mean, how could you not see that as a positive? But when everything else goes down— That's the thing. I would trade me. those Ks back, to be honest. Yeah, easily. Yeah, because, I mean, it just— it. it He's just really morphed, and now this 80% fastball, like, listen, I get it. It's a mid-90s fastball, but it, it, it's not good enough to do that, I, I don't think. And so the slider right now is, is, is gone. It's gone from 20% to 8%. Now, I know these one things— One strikeout with it. The one strikeout with the slider. But he's so, given up four extra base hits on it. So he's not trusting anything, I guess, is what we're, we're kind of learning here. Actually, and, the, the slider's been the big problem. So as far as— just this year, just his first two starts, That's that's been the problem so far. But th that is the issue, is that his secondaries are so weak. He's basically a one-pitch guy. The thing that's, that really sucks about that for Kashner is when he's on, when you, go, when you go through his game log and you can go look at some of those starts when he's going eight innings and looking brilliant, the slider that he can snap off is unbelievable. He'll mix yep. in that curve in the low 80s. The changeup will be diving off. Uh, off the table, he can look great with four pitches. Uh, curve's always more of a show me, but three pitches even, and now we're down to one pitch. So uh, I, I don't think you've uh, achieved the goal I was uh, forcing you to do, which was to talk me off the ledge. I'm going to go ahead and jump, so this podcast is over. I'll see you, Doug. All right, man. See you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on uh, because we, I don't want to get too, more, too much more depressed. You, you briefly mentioned Madison Bumgarner as it relates to the velocity piece. He kind of jumped. Uh, he had some people jumping off their ledge after the first start. Now the second start against the Dodgers looked a heck of a lot better. Was it just the flu, or does this foot neuroma concern you? Where do you currently stand with Ma this version of Madison Bumgarner that we're talking about who's got the foot neuroma, had a rib cage issue um, in spring training? Are these, issue are these issues piling up to kind of hurt him, or is he just kind of feeling out these first couple of games? I'm not too concerned. Uh, the the flu thing's weird, isn't it? I mean, we yeah. had, we saw it with Grinky, we saw it with Bumgarner. I mean, it's supposedly going around. These yeah, guys exactly. Are still going out there. Wait a second. I ca I called BS on it initially because I thought it was they were just trying to pre pretend that the foot wasn't an issue. Uh, but then they were saying no, no, no. Posey really had it. It was bad. And then you heard Grinky, and it was kind of going through Arizona. So I, I give a little bit of credence to that. But I am still nervous about this foot and, and this neuroma thing. Based on what I read about it, just seems so bad. And I don't know how it couldn't affect his mechanics. But maybe I'm overrating it. What do you think? 
Well, it, it doesn't concern me based on what I've seen. It, it did after the first outing because the first outing he was misaligned. He yeah, was more blocks. closed off than usual. And I his so when you look at his stride, it was more towards the left-hand batter's box than it typically is. Not a whole lot. And he was consistently doing it. You look at his release point data, and it's it's a, he he's infamous for having a little tiny spot. His consistency yep. is so good. He did so the same good. thing. He was just consistently releasing the the ball out of the wrong slot, and that was fixed by the second time by the second outing. I don't know if that was flu related. I don't know if that was foot no remote related. I the problem with the flu is I, I don't know how severe it was. I don't know yeah, to what extent it was messing with him. Really. I, I can't measure that, so mm-hmm. all I can do is base it off off of what I was seeing. Okay. Now he didn't look to me the way Grinky looked. I, I, Grinky again, he had mechanical issues as well. But with Bumgarner, it was just it looked to me like to be an alignment an alignment issue. Okay. Other than that, he, I thought he looked fine. And then in, in his second one, he was awesome as usual. But his velocity is down, and even though he has done that before, in fact, he did it last season. He's still down. I think it was 0.6 miles an hour from where he was in his first start last year, and then his second start, he ramped up an extra 0.9. He didn't do that this time so even if he dished the flu that second start that head-to-head with kershaw he was still in the 91 mile an hour range and this is usually a guy averages 93 now what i thought was really interesting about it was and you know granted this is a guy who has natural cut on, cut on his fastball such that it's so hard for batters to tell out of his hand whether it's a fastball or it's a they call it a cutter maybe they used to call it a slider whatever the hell that secondary pitch is but what he did when he started throwing a little bit slower is he's getting a little bit more cut on it. So now he's getting even more bleed between that cutter, slider, whatever the hell you want to call it, and his normal fastball, which already has some break on it. So he's getting even more horizontal movement at the slower speeds. I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if that's you know part of design in order to help him get through the season. Or I don't know if that's uh, incidental. It's impossible to know without talking to the guy. But it's very interesting that he's still been very effective with it. Mechanically, he looks fine to me in that second start. His, if you have extension, if you can release the ball from the same spot every single time, you only need two pitches, and you don't even need downhill plane. And we saw that from Randy Johnson. Now, I'm not saying that Bumgarner's Randy Johnson, I mean, but there but, are many guys that are more similar to Randy Johnson than Bumgarner right now. Yeah, they, they, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, I know people would want you to tap the brakes on that, but... When you watch him, right down to the saltiness of attitude out there, he's got some things going. And, and when he had his hair longer, I think he's cut it now. Uh, but yeah, Bumgarner's got some, you know, Johnson-esque qualities. Doesn't necessarily have the 99 that he can bring all day, but you can yeah, just you, subtract five miles an hour and yeah, like just you know bring three it down. inches of vertical drop on that slider, and you know, there you go. But Voila. that's that's not bad. If you can be a 90 percent version of, of Randy Johnson, you still got a damn good chance to get to the hall. So yeah, you <laughs> really do. <laughs> Bumgarner's on, on his way if that if that's the model that he's trying to follow. Okay, so you you you've you've brought down that panic level a little bit for me because I was concerned. I came on this podcast and expressed that concern after that opening day start with the five walks. And so, yeah. you know, yeah, but again, he, to me, he was misaligned. I'm, I'm not surprised at all that he walked five and, and granted his first walk was completely borderline. Could have been strike three. It was a three, two pitch. But after that, he walked a guy in four pitches. He walked in a run on five. I mean, he was clearly off. And then gave up a, a bomb to Scooter Jeanette, his first homer off a lefty ever in the ever. majors. <laughs> so yeah, that that was interesting. So okay, cool. We'll, we'll keep we'll keep eyeing Bumgarner, particularly for if the foot kind of keeps ever gets him misaligned again or messes with his mechanics. But by and large, bringing it down a little bit. I was kind of maybe at an orange. Maybe I'm back down to a yellow now in terms of concern. Well, and I would keep an eye on that velocity too. J- just keep an eye on it and see. If he's still effective at the velocity that he's pitching, fine. Okay. But, uh, but I, I'll be keeping my eye on it. it, it if we're doing the, the, the measurements with the with the green, yellow, red, I am blue, the very top, I guess. If we're doing Roy G. Biv, where the, where the Roy is the, is the problem there, then I'm violet on freaking Noah Syndergaard right now. He's unbelievable. <laughs> and I posed this question to Eno on a previous episode. I'm going to go ahead and tee it up for you as well. If you're doing a ranking today of your starting pitchers for the rest of the season, is Noah Syndergaard top five, Doug? You know he's really close. I don't think I could put him top five, but I would put him top seven. 
<laughs> that's still really good. Where did you have him preseason? Uh, preseason, I, I had him uh, – I checked my board. I had him 13th among starting pitchers. Oh, that's nice. In FPC, he was 16th or something. Yeah, but, so you so were up. up to seven. He's moving up past some elite pitchers and some great pitchers who are stable sources in general. So, mm-hmm. But that I've been that impressed with what I've seen from him. You don't throw 95-mile-an-hour sliders. What, dude? Like what even? Oh, my gosh. You don't, you don't do what he's doing. What he's doing is stupid. He struck out nine Royals in six innings. Not nine batters, nine Royals. The, the, the league should award him five extra strikeouts for that. Just, yeah. just make a decree that he gets five because you can't uh, – striking out the Royals nine times, come on. They don't do that in a series sometimes, yeah. I bet. Yeah, in- insane. I mean, to see a guy who's – he was already tops in the majors in average velocity for starters last year. So as he do, he comes out his first start of the year and tops that average. And he's you know busting out the ninety five mile an hour slider, I, I'm a huge fan. I already was a huge fan. You know this, but oh man, it's getting sick. And the fact that I only put him top seven just says how much I like the guys above him. It says it's not disparaging him at all. No, I think that's <laughs> still a, a, a very nice ringing endorsement of Noah Syndergaard as well. And we haven't even seen Thor's hammer yet. Uh, you know, and I were talking about that as well. Curveball uh, hasn't really come out yet. You know, surmised that perhaps. Since these are opponents that he's faced and faced relatively recently, KC obviously in the World Series, Miami's a division foe. He probably faced them, faced them in September. He wanted to come out, show off the new slider, and the curveball is probably going to come out later. And if he has both, oh my God, because the hammer was ridiculous last year. That low 80s curveball, if he's mixing yeah. that with the upper 80s, low 90s, sometimes mid 90s slider, how is that even fair for Noah Syndergaard? I yeah. just don't and everything's got that vertical up down, which there are some caveats with that. But the great thing about it is it's effective against righties and lefties alike. So it, it's a platoon buster, essentially. Yeah, yeah. He's he's not the type of pitcher who's going to be sensitive to platoons at all. And it's also not a pitch that he's going to lose com- control of as easily uh, as someone who's, you know, he's kind of a sidewinder, but he has so much up and down movement on it. It's insane, and I shouldn't even call him a side. He's not kind of a sidewinder, but he has that good posture, and a lot of guys with strong posture will have the lower release point, but he has that, that great combination. I, I'm a huge fan. Would you sell him right now? Um, no, I'm trying to buy Cindergard. Okay, same, people, same. You know. I'm actually buying high. <laughs> I, I understand that's probably not the best time. I don't care. Because he's that good, I do think that he can continue to, to soar. I, I don't, wouldn't be expecting a 42% strikeout rate all season, but he's a guy who can push for 30. And 30% strikeout rate is so unbelievably elite that I want it on my team. And I don't think he's going to have much on the innings restriction this year. I think he should get a pretty strong workload this year after a buck 50 last year. That's just in the majors. I can't, can't well, recall and, exactly and, what Yeah, didn't up. he have another 30 in the minors? Yeah, so I can another, see them going 200 with him, no problem. Another 20 in the playoffs. So yeah, if they just don't overwork him, you can get to 200. I want to move on because we're just gushing at this point. We love Noah Syndergaard. That's cool. <laughs> New guy in the league, Kenta Maeda. Obviously got a lot of accolades for the for the homer, which was cool. You got to love that. On your, First off, anytime pitchers who can rake are out there raking, we love that. But when it's your debut, well done, buddy. And he got, got that really soft landing going into San Diego and dominating them. However, faced a tough Arizona team his next time out and emulated the, the start almost 100%. Six hits, or excuse me, six innings, five hits, zero runs, zero walks, four strikeouts in the first game. Repeat it, but just add a walk to the second game. So, what do you think of Kenta Maeda? Have you been able to take a look at him mechanically? Is it sound? Does he have a lot of those same markers that we see from the the Asian players who come over? And what what kind of upside are we dealing with? Is it a Hisashi Iwakuma situation? I know I threw a lot, like twenty questions at you. Just talk about Kenta Maeda and how you've uh, felt about him so far. Well, I think first off, I think that's a great comp, and I'm not big on comps. It and it's hard to not comp guys from, especially from Japan, mm-hmm. because they have a lot of mechanical similarities. They really, so many of them have the the pause midway through their delivery. They favor balance over anything else, and so I tend to like the the deliveries of the players from Japan. I think the best comp from Maeda is someone like Iwakuma. I think folks forget how good Iwakuma was. I uh, totally uh, agree. If they if they think that's a bad comparison in terms of the statistical profile, they got to check themselves because you want to go back and see. He was a little bit up and down last year, Iwakuma was. But when he got going, 
he, I mean, he can be awesome. He can be really, really good. A nice middle of the rotation fantasy asset. Yeah, I thought he was going to come up and be immediately effective, which, well, I mean, I didn't expect him to throw 10 shutout innings or whatever, <laughs> but he, he's been he's been obviously effective, and he, part of that is facing the Padres. But... That, that definitely helps. That again, <laughs> soft, the, uh, the softest landing that you can get right now is either that or checking out the Braves somewhere because those two teams, man, they just do not have uh, many imposing threats. In fact, I'll, I'll give it to the Padres because at least the Braves, Freddie Freeman, you can't take it easy with him. But I don't know anybody in the in the Padres lineup that really scares you. Maybe Matt Kemp on on the right day, but otherwise, no, yeah. no way, man. No, they're they're such a rough club, and all the way up and down. I mean, there's not a future with this team. It's amazing no, they how much it. it's changed in the year. And, and look where all the players are. They're all out there excelling elsewhere. It's really, really tough. Let's move on to our next guy. Getting to some AL guys here. I'm sure you national or you AL league uh, players were probably like, "Come on, you know, I can't do anything with this Cashner, Bumgarner, Syndergaard information." <laughs> I got some for you, and we're not even going at the high level. We're getting in that middle tier, and maybe even a little bit lower. Matt Moore is where we're starting, and I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to pose it like this: Are we going to finally get the season from Matt Moore? No. Damn it! I knew you were going <laughs> to. Not until that. 2018. Okay. 2018, he'll be. He's going to be sick, or he'll be, you know, out of the league. But, uh, but I, I think he's going to have an innings limit this year or a cap, um, you know, for his first full season back. I, for me, he's just been way too volatile, both in terms of the stuff, mechanics, uh, also in terms of command, really. Oh, especially command, I would say. From inning yeah, to so, inning, from batter to batter. So, so this is a guy I have to see what kind of progress, what kind of consistency he shows this year. I don't expect the Rays to give him a heavy workload. I think by 2018 the rains come off, and they won't come off. Hopefully, next year? it's that combination of he's figured he's figured things out because the velocity's going now. I, I actually I don't know what his velocity looked like for the first couple of games, but I kind of expect that to continue to dissipate for him. Do you happen to know what it was? Um, I'll check. I'm checking it for you right now. He was at 92 and a half, 92.6. Yeah, so, so it's, it's not the dominant 6. fastball that he came up with, especially from the left side. So. Yeah, not at all. He was 95, yeah. 96 when he came up, 94 in 2012. So he's been consistently 92, bumping 93 since 2013 for Matt Moore. So, by the way, you, you said 2018. So you think even next year's another building block, and then we finally get kind of that late 20s breakout from him? I, I think it's either 2018 or it's not going to happen. Oh, uh, I don't think it's next year. Maybe okay. it's, it's possible, but I, I see a guy who has a lot to work on on top of the fact that he's going to have limited exposure this year. so I think that's fair. I, I think if you're talking about the season, if he's going to, if we're ever going to get the season, I think that's 2018. Okay. Okay. Well, th- th- there it is. Matt, Mo- Matt Moore fans keep hoping, but uh, Doug knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and and I totally agree with what you're saying, t- particularly about the, the mechanics and, and the command. You watch a start. It can be maddening. If you're going to watch Matt Moore, Get the Pepto out. You're going to need it. I want to talk about Chris Tillman next, though. And I know he's not, like I said, we're going further down the radar with the AL guys here just because of how it worked out. It's not even two full starts, Doug, because of the rain. The first inning or that first game was only two innings, and then he's out. So that's almost a relief appearance. But he does have a 40% strikeout percentage and a 15% swinging strike rate in those seven innings. And you know, it's pitches when you're talking about swinging strike percentage. So that stabilizes quicker. Again, it's not stabilized yet, but it jumped out off the page to me a little bit. Is there anything new with Chris Tillman? Or are we just seeing seven great innings to start off the season? And, you know, any guy who pitches 200 innings in a season is going to have seven great ones at, at some point. So overreaction or something's changed with Chris Tillman. I, I think something's changed. Ooh, I'm very curious to watch his next few starts. This is a guy who, I mean, he throws mostly fastballs. Yes. He. This is a guy. I mean, most guys, I guess, throw mostly fastballs. Sure. He but was at 62, some guys lean. Sixty-two percent, I think, last year, or yes. no, this year he's at sixty-two percent. Sixty-five. That fastball last. is traveling a whole lot faster than it's ever traveled in his entire life. Uh, it's averaging almost ninety-four miles an hour. This is based off the data I'm looking at of Brooks Baseball, and for a guy who relies on the fastball, I mean, it's always been a strikeout pitch, even for a guy who didn't get many strikeouts. Well, now this year, again, it's only seven innings, but he's getting the same dominance of strikeouts being all fastballs, which is rare. Usually you see guys whose secondaries dominate their, their strikeout count. But when you see a guy whose fastball stri- dominates the strikeout count, especially one who doesn't have 
a dominant fastball. But all of a sudden, Tillman added that velocity this year, at least what we've seen so far. And as we were talking about earlier, when you see that in April, it's very interesting. So the rain could have had something to do with it as far as it being a shorter outing. I, you know, I'm curious to see his velocity progression in game to see if he tapers off as he gets deeper and deeper in the pitch count. Uh, I think the most pitches he's thrown is 83 in a second start or, or a second game. Okay. Uh, but he's very interesting. This is a guy who's never struck out 10 batters in any game of his entire career. And I have a feeling we might see the first one mm-hmm. of his career in the next five starts or so. I like that. So that's Chris Tillman. And, and to your point about uh, you know the velocity holding up, he was still at 93.5 in that second start, which was more of a full start. And that would still be the highest that he's ever had. So... It is interesting. Chris Tillman's a guy I've backed in the past. I distanced myself a little bit from him this year because I just figured, you know, we're not seeing anything with the strikeout rate. There's nothing coming up with the swinging strike rate. So I got very minimal investments in him this year compared to the past couple years when I would go get him as a late round guy in ALs or deeper. But uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna stay tuned then. Twenty eight, age twenty eight. I think Doug, we talk about this a lot on, on the show about how the fantasy baseball community is very ageist, and I think oh, it's man. it starts really early. Like we as a ba- fantasy baseball community pretend like a twenty eight year old can't have upside, and that's crazy. Like it, it it doesn't always have to be twenty five and younger to have upside. In fact, a lot of times those guys, it's not gonna click until the 26, 27, 28. That's why that age 27 thing became a thing for a while because it's those late 20s. And I know that the aging curve has definitely moved, but that's that's globally. And when you're talking about the amazing rookie class that we had last year and things like that, still we see a lot of pitchers in particular start to do their breakout in the mid-20s, in the late 20s. So I think 28, we can still say that Tillman has upside, you know? Yeah, well, and these guys... When it comes to velocity, for the most part, they taper off. I mean, the average player does lose velocity over time. Every year I do a, a, a series and I look at guys who have lost velocity for two consecutive seasons. And then I do a series on those who have gained velocity two consecutive seasons. The list of guys who have gained velocity is always way shorter Much than shorter. the guys yes, who have lost velocity. Uh, so, so he really has to go against the grain as he's aging. So to see him add that mile an hour this year and, then, and he's general, generally on an uptick. And once again, this is a pitch that that dominates his repertoire. And for what it's worth, his balance looks a little bit better. His posture looks a little bit better. His release point is actually slightly lower. It's about okay. you know it's about two inches lower according to again the the data on Brooks Baseball. So, uh, but overall, I, I really like what it's done for his command. So if he has better command of a fastball that he throws a, a lot of the time and he throws it harder than he ever has, then that's a good combination. There's also been a spike. Uh, you mentioned that the the arm slot's lower. There's been a spike in his ground ball rate. Are those two things related at all? They could be. Okay. I, I haven't taken a good look at his zone plots to see if he's peppering the the bottom of the zone, and also to, I want to look at the movement on his uh, his two seamer especially, because really so much of it has to do with the impact at the you know at or at the point of impact the angle of the baseball or the position of the baseball mm-hmm. however if it makes it easier for him to hit the bottom of the zone with it then yeah okay okay well chris tillman i'm keeping an eye on him i actually um, drafted him a couple leagues then went and scooped him up on the wire so i got three shares now i'm interested to see how it plays out i'm also interested to see how it plays out in this guy now this was an interesting coincidence that i didn't mean to necessarily do but all three al guys were from the al east i don't know but this is our last guy <laughs> we're gonna talk about aaron sanchez a little bit um, he's a guy, obviously, who got some spring training buzz, came out, looked great in his first start, looked a little bit rockier in his second start. Yeah, I think this, it, this one can be an easy one. You know, just kind of look at the walks seems to be the general rule of thumb that you, you would be talking about with somebody like an Aaron Sanchez. But what do you see from him early, and how high can this go? Like, how good can he be when you're talking about somebody with the pedigree that he's had and the and the raw stuff that that um, Aaron Sanchez has. What do you think of him? Well, there's no questioning the the raw fastball velocity. No question that at all. And and his breaking ball. I mean, the, the thing has snapped to it. There's a reason that he's been used as a reliever, and that's I I hate to give this answer because it's such the standard, almost like scout head answer, but. <laughs> His changeup is weak, and therefore that's going to be a problem in a starting role. Facing left-handed batters, he needs a weapon against them. His changeup got tattooed last season, and he's only had three at-bats that ended in changeups this year. So we haven't really seen 
how that plays out. And like I said, I I hate using that excuse because I feel like it's overused. Sure, it's but sometimes the that, oh, if a guy lacks a third pitch, then he sucks. Well, Chris, there's Chris Archer to prove you wrong. So I'm not saying that it's impossible. However, the the odds are stacked against him. And actually, the the Archer comp is an interesting one because they both have very slow deliveries. And to me, that opens them up to inconsistency because when you have a slow delivery, it's more time for things to get out of whack, basically. Well, that's so interesting. So I, I always worry about that with guys who have slow deliveries. And Archer, you know, last year he was amazing, but he had five or six starts that were just atrocious. And yep. that's why his ERA was one of those this year. That's why his ERA was relatively high when you consider the skills and the whip. You yep. look at Archer with like a 3.23, and you're like, I'm really surprised that it was that high. And again, that's not high. But it was high compared to everything else he did. So that is an interesting name to kind of throw out there with Aaron Sanchez. Listen, I hear you on that with, you know, you don't want to give a stock answer, but sometimes the easiest answer is the right one. I am fond of saying that as well. And that that's going to be a problem. You know, if he's going to walk guys and struggle with lefties, it's not going to come together. That's one of our games on Baseball Holics, by the way, is Occam's Razor. It's based on exactly that idea. And I, I, Simplest I, answer is quite often the correct one. Arguably, I think I might have voted for that as my favorite when you guys were asking which, your fa- which, which games uh, were our favorite. By the way, to, to accentuate this point further, Aaron Sanchez, and I didn't know this, has nearly a 400-point platoon split. It's 785 for Ooh. lefties, 398 for righties. He's given up 12 home runs. Guess how many of them lefties have hit. <laughs> 10 of them 12 Doug it's 12 oh, man. it's all 12 so again oh. I know you didn't want to give kind of a stock answer that everyone's probably going to give but it's the right one right now now the one thing that I'm encouraged by you mentioned only three plate appearances have ended with it but he is using the change up 12% of the time so I do like that we are seeing a usage pattern from Aaron Sanchez that at least says that he understands that that needs to be a pitch that works or his, situ- his situation as a starter is going to become exceedingly difficult yeah he has to work on it he's young enough that that's my issue with young players who get platooned it's like wait a second so they're weak against lefties so you're going to go ahead and have them not ever face lefties Conforto. This young developing player so you dumb. want to be a cornerstone of your franchise give him some time give mm-hmm. him some you know some plate appearances give him a shot to develop the damn thing we're a thousand percent in lockstep on that and i'm an adam conley guy but i don't know how you bench michael Conforto against adam conley you got to yeah. give him a chance to take on a young lefty like that. What are you doing? And now he was dealing today, and maybe he goes uh, 0 for 3 uh, with, with three strikeouts. I don't know, but you got to give him some saw. chance. Yes, it's, he saw some premium velocity and a good breaking ball from a lefty. Good. Get him some hacks in there. And it's not like any of the other jokers that they sent out there could do anything better. So I, we are in lockstep there, particularly when you're talking about a 22, 23-year-old. What are you doing? You're stunting him. Well, I love him. to use Conforto as the example. He, he's one of those guys that I feel like the industry has always been lower than well, – I say always, since he was drafted in 2014. <laughs> but the industry has been lower than time. I've been on this guy. I love Conforto, and I can't believe they're doing that to him. It's so brutal, and I I don't love this solution because it's my boy Curtis, but I think as the year goes on, that really looks like it it should become the better solution is to sit Curtis Curtis Granderson against lefties and give Conforto some of these reps. At least let him try it out. Yeah, how long has has Granderson proved that he can't hit lefties? We know he can't hit lefties. Conforto, we're still figuring out if he can't hit lefties. He had like one spike here. You know how they talk about guys don't own their uh, splits until like ten years. Well, he's got a, he's got a decade, and and you know <laughs> nine of the years have been bad against lefties. I think we know that Curtis Granderson does not hit lefties, and so you know at the very least. You don't have to always. You don't have to be a straight platoon and never give Curtis any time against lefties. But you should give some of those plate appearances to Conforto. I know we were talking straight pitching here, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. It just bothers me to no end. But I do like again seeing Sanchez, the, the thing that got us off on that tangent, at least going to the changeup and understanding that I've got to make this pitch absolutely work if I'm going to be a. Well, stud. just a reminder that we're complete baseball holics and we might be obsessed with pitching but we certainly don't ignore hitting nope we never do and uh that's why we are good at fantasy baseball because we can actually draft both sides of it and we are in a (laughs) league again this year and i'm I'm just gonna finish up with with a little bit because you you, this was only your second auction right last year's baseball holics league was your first auction this was your second 
it's kind of a little bit off topic since we were focused mostly on pitchers there, and I'm going to hit you with this uh, off the cuff since we didn't put it on the rundown, but what were some of your takeaways after that first to second? Because I think that's a, the biggest jump is the first auction is like, wow, head spinning. I don't necessarily know what to do. I had a game plan, but it's blown up the second I walk in. To that second season, particularly with a seasoned fantasy player like yourself, you're not going to be thrown off the second time around. What would you learn in the auction, and how would you feel coming out? Well, you know, it's funny. So I, the first time my plan went perfectly, and it was the wrong plan. My plan at the time was to have a lot of players in that 3 to $9 range. I wanted to get all the guys because I saw a thick tier right before the replacement value. Oh, and that's the end what I game. wanted. Yeah. When I look back on it, it was ugly. Yeah, you <laughs> wanted to stay out of the, the super end game, the $1, but you wanted to be in on the uh, on the guys who are kind of like – I wanted my choice of the $1. Exactly. That way it, everyone else, all the $1 players will make up this fat block right before the – the, the final cut, basically the waiver wire free agent list, uh, but the but I would have my choice of that tier of guys, and I got I mean I got a Syndergaard out of it, you know I, I've got some I got some good players out of it, but overall it was definitely a mistake. So this year I vowed not to do that. So what happened? The same damn thing, and for the same damn reason it was that there's just so few players at the very top, especially bats, and. People were just willing to pay through the nose, and and I thought I was willing to pay through the nose. No, I was the prices to go were insane. Above and dude. beyond this year, but people just kept outbidding. Just oh man, it was a lot of new so people you, too. So that's kind of different. Is that you didn't necessarily run it back with the same people. So anything right. that you might have taken away, they weren't necessarily at play. It was a crazy auction. It was a lot of fun, but it was crazy, and I I was loving kind of in the chat with you and Sammy. I know you guys were doing it together. Uh, it's always fun when you can have a draft. Even though it's not all of us live, at least you were with somebody who's also in that auction. You guys are probably trading barbs back and forth. But do you think that uh, even though it didn't necessarily work out with the game plan, did you come out with a crew that you think is has the foundation to compete? I, I think so. because. But again, I, I felt like it coming out of last year, and I ended up not doing well. By the way, Paul won that league last year. Bastard. I, that's not the only reason I brought it up. It's just the, the <laughs> top reason. It wasn't the only reason. It was just the <laughs> number one. No, it was, it's a great uh, league. I, I love a lot it. Of pictures, I, I got a lot of pictures I didn't expect to get, and that wasn't even price enforcing. It was just I couldn't believe how cheap they were going relative to the bat. So I have a very strong rotation, uh, even though I – I typically I like to go top at I like to go aggressive at the top and have a, like two aces. Instead, now I have four guys who are in the top twenty, but I wouldn't I don't have any of the top five pitchers. I don't have a sender on my team. I've got a lot of the Lesters and the Felixes and in Cole who I like, but yeah, I've I've got a lot of those types of players and um and I've got a lot riding on the bats of Abreu and Machado. So. We'll see how, how they do. So far, so good with those guys. Yeah, that's not too bad to ha- to to be riding those two guys for sure, Abreu and Machado. Now, this is an interesting league format, and I love it. That's I love playing different league formats. I'm in too many that are very similar. So the fact that we use OBP and slug with runs, RBIs, and stolen bases for offense is cool. And then strikeouts, ERA, whip, quality starts, and net saves holds for the pitching side. And it's 15 teams. Uh, yeah, so we're deep. We're 15 teams with the net saves holds. It's interesting, so you're not freaking out about all the closers. You can kind of, and it's daily moves, so you can kind of piecemeal that. If you didn't want to spend hard on a, on a big closer, you could just keep putting in the Justin Wilsons and the Zach Dukes of the world. Now, every once in a while, they're going to get bombed out. I think I got an infinity ERA that I'm looking at here from Zach Duke today. Uh, so that's going to happen every <laughs> once in a while. But you can piecemeal it without having the stud closer. And that's kind of what I did. I went with A.J. Ramos. I went with the one stud, A.J. Ramos. I like him. But then I do have uh, those guys I was naming, Justin Wilson, Zach Duke. I got Liam Hendricks. He got bombed out today too. But I'm not too worried about it. After all, I am the defending champ. I did miss the Tanner Roark start though because checked my lineups in the morning, handled all that. I did know about the Strasburg scratch, but it didn't click to go back and make sure that Tanner Roark was in the lineup. And you don't want to miss a start against Atlanta with any of your pitchers. So that was yeah, tough. One other thing I do is I write the daily pitcher breakdown over at Roto Grinders. And yesterday, the, the way I do it, it's kind of a poker str- poker stratification. So it's I have an all-in level, a raise level, a call level, and a full level. That, by the way. Yesterday, Strasburg was the only all-in guy. 
tomorrow he'll be on the list again and he'll drop a couple spots and purely because I don't know what to expect from him now. If he if he's sick also, I don't know if it's going to be bad adding. I don't know if he's going to get scratched. I don't know if he's going to be limited with his pitch count. He goes from being the best guy available to someone that has a lot of question marks. It, it, it's so frustrating when that happens. You kind of plan everything. I actually planned to go with the crazy pitching. I was going to go Carrasco, Strasburg, and try to work it with some of the bargain bats. And to tell you what, it was only two or three that I can remember, but I had since I remember that lineup a little bit, I was like, oh, some of those guys actually raked. But obviously the strategy right now, and I know that we're, we're kind of off the rails here, but that's what we did. That's how we had a four-hour podcast. So I'll, I'll, yeah, I will end with this, Doug, but go ahead and give your rant about how much you hate when the Rockies are at home when it comes to DFS? Oh, it just kills DFS. It makes it a different game. It's, it's no longer about... Game. Yeah, it, it's no longer about trying to identify the best situation or the best context. And, and I'm cool with stacking lineups and all the different strategies. I'm, I'm cool with that. What I don't like is when there's one stack that everyone does. That everyone has and to do. You have to. You have to get everyone has to do, exactly. And, and so everyone has variations of... You know, the Giants have been playing the Rockies, so everyone has variations of... Giants and Rockies in their lineups and every single player in those two lineups is 25% owned. Yep. So what's the point? You're not going to differentiate. It's, it's no fun. It just, it saps all the fun out of the game. And, and I always try to go a different direction. I, I hate the Colorado stack. So I try to do something else and it's just an uphill battle the whole damn way. I keep losing to people and watching, you know, all these runs get scored in Colorado. It, it just kills it. it and DraftKings last year tried to compensate with with player salaries. With the prices, I feel yeah. like they're not doing it this year. No, I think that, I think they've kind of given up that 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 ghost there. Um, I think because I do the same thing. By the way, I only had a couple pieces of that game t- today, and it went off the way we, we expected yesterday to go off. I think what they the term that they have for us is stubborn. I, I believe that's the <laughs> accurate term for us. There's, there's no doubt I'm stubborn. And uh, no so. Doubt. I guess that's what's happening here because the, the 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 play is get everybody you can at the top of each of the lineups and then just see if you can hit on pitching and that's what happened in my DraftKings tourney today that I that I post out on Twitter uh, the winner dominated he ran away with it because he had literally all Rockies and Giants in his lineup and then Jared Eikhoff and Shane Green and they both went off they're both super cheap and they yeah. both went off and I almost think that they should start taxing guys who are playing against San Diego and Atlanta. If you want to just not make them easy pitchers, because I don't think Eikhoff cost much of anything today. Yeah, seventy nine hundred. He sh- you should almost be nine thousand minimum when you're playing San Diego and Atlanta at this point. Yeah, it's, and it's so not bad. In the ballpark anymore. It's just playing playing against the Padres because yep. they were that weak. Where, wherever they are, even on the moon, you you, you still you still take Eikhoff <laughs> against the, that Padres. It's so bad. Anyway, I gotta get you out of here. Uh, I really appreciate you being on. It's great to talk to you again. It's great to be podcasting again. You've had me on your show since we we split up. We didn't split up uh, acrimoniously, by the way, for anyone that ever wondered that. No, it just it was a t- more of a time issue that really just became came the deal when you can do a three four hour podcast, but. Great talking to you. Talk <laughs> pitching as always, Doug. I'm probably going to bug you to come on again in season, so I hope you're down for that. You know I'm down for that. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. <laughs>